We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1 and keep making our way through this book and seeing what God has for us. I can actually feel the heat of the lamp on the back of my neck. It's pretty interesting. So um, the the lights are definitely working. Uh, One of my favorite things to do with my family is to go see a movie in a theater on a Friday night, particularly like an edge of your seat thriller, right? Where you're just like, you know, you're, you're, it's the suspense and, you know, you're kind of jumping in your seat and my kids really get a kick out of that, just watching me like flinch or jump. And it can be, I guess, pretty entertaining based on how they respond to that. But the movie experience has changed quite a bit. It really has. I mean, now you go to the theaters and you've got leather recliners. You've got a, a full food menu if you want to do that. And uh, you've got HD. You've got state-of-the-art surround sound. But here's what's very interesting about that. Just a 100 years ago, movies were black and white, and they were silent. And, and that was considered to be innovative at that time. We spent time last week looking at four precious truths regarding our complete salvation. We have a new birth. We have a living hope. We have a guaranteed inheritance. And we have a guarded salvation. And while that may sound par for the course for us doctrinally, to the Old Testament prophets, that would be like going from a black and white silent movie to the movie theater experience of 2021. Drastically different. Uh, the view is, is, is unmatched. And this is where we continue in chapter 1 and verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which, is in, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Now, the Old Testament prophets, they could see the first and second comings, but what they could not see was the church age in between. That was a mystery to them, which is something that was concealed in the Old Testament, but has been revealed in the New Testament. So although they didn't fully understand how everything fit together, they knew that a Messiah would come and that he would suffer and he would be glorified. But they longed to know and to understand the grace that has come to us in the church age. If they could only see what you know, if they could only understand what you understand regarding those four truths that we have unpacked, we understand it because we live on the other side of Calvary. So it makes perfect sense to us and is very clear and full. Now, what was known to them or signified made plain by the Spirit of Christ that was in them. They could see to that point. Now, I do want to touch on something here because what we have just read is very clear. It says that the Spirit of Christ was in them. Now, if you're like me, maybe you've been taught that the Holy Spirit 
did not indwell people in the Old Testament. And I think if we're having this conversation, I think it really comes down to a matter of function of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. For us here in the age of grace, you and I are saved by the Holy Spirit. We are baptized and placed into Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are permanently indwelt and sealed by the Holy Spirit in the church age. That was not the function of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which is why some would say or teach that the Holy Spirit did not indwell believers. I think that's really the issue. It's a matter of function. But we keep going in verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. The uniqueness the mystery, the greatness of the salvation that has come to us is so marvelous and magnificent that the angels themselves desire or covet to look into. Uh, this is why we were saying last week, like th this should, this, what God has given us, our complete salvation, it really ought to move us to have joy, exceeding joy, and to praise the Lord, regardless of what we are going through or where we are in life. Our salvation is that magnificent that even the angels desire to look into it. If only the Old Testament prophets could understand what you know. I mean, it's, this is a very special thing that we have from the Lord. And beginning in verse 13, Peter begins to clearly unpack for us what our response ought to be to it. And it has everything to do with the theme that we have ascribed to this book, Christian Behavior. So given this magnificent, this marvelous, this wonderful, this incredible, complete salvation that is ours in Christ, what do we do? What is our response? Well, we begin in verse 13. Wherefore, because of all that, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, verses 13 through 16 form one sentence, if you notice. What begins in verse 13, we don't get a period until the end of verse 16. So, that is one connected thought. So what we read in verse 13 is, is connected to what we have just read in verse 16. So what we are going to look at today is, as we saw last week, we need to understand trials, but today we're talking about understanding holiness. 
And if I can just stand before you and be as transparent as, as I can possibly be, I personally find a, a study or any study on the topic of holiness and Scripture to be the most daunting thing I could ever consider in Scripture. It swallows me whole. When you come face to face with the holiness of God, which is who he ultimately is, it is God's chief character trait. It is his chief trait. It is the only trait that is given a threefold emphasis in Scripture. God is holy, holy, holy. And we are commanded to be that. If that's not daunting, I don't know what is. Because the closer I get to God and the more time I spend in God's word, the clearer it becomes that in my flesh dwells no good thing. And it is magnified. And it is dark and it is ugly. Because God is holy, holy, holy. And listen, if there is anything that we must understand in Scripture, it is this. Uh, we must have a biblical heartbeat and a biblical mindset when it comes to holiness. God is not interested in what we think about it. God is not interested in our modification of it. God is only interested in making sure that we understand it from his perspective. I also want to state as well that God is not interested in a cultural holiness. I think sometimes we can come face to face with the holiness of God and Scripture and go, okay, that is too unrealistic, that is too intense, that is too radical, so I won't do that, but I'll go over here and I'll create another standard, which, yeah, it's not that, but it's better than that over there. And God says, not interested. God is the standard when it comes to holiness, not anyone else. And the misunderstandings regarding holiness can be so grievous that it has led many to bondage. And because of this recreation, this new standard of holiness that someone has created that says, everybody better follow this, and if they don't, then they're not holy. And God says again, no thank you. This was the issues with the scribes and the Pharisees. So as we seek to understand holiness, here's where we start. Holiness begins with preparation. Begins with preparation. This is very, very important. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Men at this time, they wore long robes or tunics. And so when it came time to them getting ready to serve or to go into battle, they would, they would gird up or they would pull up that tunic or that robe and they would attach it to their hip. That meant that they were getting ready for action. Now, Peter was very specific about our preparation. He says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Your mind. We have to prepare our minds. Listen, if there's anything about holiness I am learning and I have learned is that it's never accidental. 
You're, you're not living or walking in holiness by accident. And you're not living or walking in unholiness by accident. It's either one, holiness or unholiness, they're both, listen, extremely intentional. They're very deliberate. And it's always been that way. As it relates to that, this word loins is very important because it means or refers to the hip. So their robe or their tunic would have been bound to the belt or girdle around their waist. Why is that important? That's important because the Apostle Paul had something very specific to say about this. In Ephesians chapter 6, regarding the whole armor of God in verse 14, he said, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, First Peter is very Pauline. You're going to keep seeing that as we make our way through the epistle. But the armor of the soldier, it was held together by their belt or their girdle. It's, it held everything. It held the whole armor together. And again, Paul says that having your loins girt about with truth, one of our takeaways, and this is very, very important, is that it's truth that holds everything together in your life and in mine. Things fall apart in your life, and they fall apart in my life, especially as it pertains to holiness when our loins aren't girt about with truth. And we're going to keep expounding on that this morning, but this area was also where the sheath was attached for the soldier's sword. And we know from Ephesians 6.17 that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So here's our takeaway. This is very critical. We prepare for holiness, listen, by attaching our minds to the Word of God. That's how we prepare for holiness. It begins by attaching our minds to the Word of God. This, and listen, please, I, I, I implore you, that point, that truth, it has everything to do with your position on the Bible. It has everything to do with how you view God's Word. The place that it holds in your heart, the place that it holds in your life, the conviction that you have for it, the love that you have for it, or listen, the disinterest that you have, has everything to do with that. Before soldiers stepped into battle, they prepared themselves by doing what? By putting on the whole armor. So before they stepped into battle, there was this preparation. I've got to put the whole armor on. And why would a soldier attach his sheath to his girdle or his belt and then place his sword in it? Why would he do that? The reason that a soldier would do that, or the reason that soldiers did that, was because they believed that the sword was essential for battle. In other words, they dared not to step on the battlefield without their armor and without their sword. That would have been foolish. I mean, that would have been uh, suicidal. Uh, please understand 
the battle for holiness occurs in the mind. The battle for holiness occurs in the mind. And not only does the battle occur in the mind, listen very, very carefully, the battle is also for the mind. The battle for holiness occurs in the mind, but the battle is also for your mind. This is the battle. And the battle comes down to this. Will you be spiritually minded or will you be carnally minded? That's the battle. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, it's hostile. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. A carnal mind is not attached to the Word of God. This is why it's carnal. And not only that, to be carnally minded is death, and the carnal mind is enmity against God. Listen. This mind is anti-God, and it is actually at war with God. This is a mind that does not love the Word of God. This is a mind that challenges the Word of God. This is a mind that critiques the Word of God. This is a mind that actually rejects the Word of God. It's carnal. This is a mind that is not prepared for holiness. Understand, a carnal mind never produces a holy walk. It just, it can't. How can a mind that is anti-God, how can a mind that is at war with God produce holiness? That's impossible. So holiness begins with the preparation of the mind, and that can only happen as we take the position on God's Word that it is what the Lord Jesus Christ says that it is, the bread of life. What was Jesus saying in his declaration that he is the bread of life? He says, I am the bread of life. It's one of the great I am's in the gospel of John. What is Jesus saying? What he's saying is, I am necessary for you to live. I am necessary for you to thrive. I am necessary for you to flourish. I am necessary for you to win in life. I am necessary for you to think, speak, and walk holy. Well, who is he? He is the bread of life. He is the word of God. That's it. So, what the sword was to a soldier, the Word of God must be to the believer. 
Like, I dare not step onto the battlefield. I dare not try to engage in this thing called life without the bread of life. It's essential. I have to have it. And that is important because of what follows here in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Be sober. A term emerged in the early 20th century to describe a baseball player who was unprepared. And the term is flat-footed. So instead of a baseball player being on their toes and ready to make a play, they were sometimes caught flat-footed, unprepared to make a play on the ball. Uh, please hear me. One of the reasons that we fall apart and come apart during times of trials, one of the reasons that we give in and melt in the face of temptations, listen, is because we're caught spiritually flat-footed. We're caught spiritually flat-footed that is, listen, we are spiritually unprepared and we are spiritually unsober. And so now here comes this trial. Now temptation is banging on the door. And spiritually speaking, we're flat-footed. We're unprepared and we're unsober. And when we are spiritually unprepared and spiritually unsober, our perspective in those times at best is flawed. At best. Meaning we are incapable of having a right perspective in and toward this trial, and we are incapable to possess a right perspective toward this temptation that is demanding that I bow to it. Unprepared, unsober, we have no shot. We have no shot. We have no shot to please God in this. We have no shot to make the right decision. And this is where, starting with this guy right here, this is where we have made some dreadful decisions, haven't we? I was caught spiritually flat-footed and... Steamrolled. Two, holiness demands sobriety. Holiness demands sobriety. I want to share this point with you that I think is very critical. I think it's paramount to what we're talking about right now. And I, I think so often we we convince ourselves that Christ really has no idea what it's like to face the things that we face in this life, the trials, the temptations, and, and, uh, but yet he has these high demands of us and these lofty expectations. If only he knew, listen very carefully, Jesus was able to endure temptation from the devil because he was sober. 
He was sober. He was spiritually prepared, and he was spiritually sober. That's why. It is written, it is written, it is said. He went back to the Word of God. He was ready. He was ready. It is written, it is written, it is said. One of the reasons that, again, we melt in those times is listen very carefully. We have nothing to go back to. Listen, you can't go back to something that's not there. So if you have not been walking with God in and through his word, and when that trial shows up and it is coming, and when that temptation knocks on the door and it is going to knock, if you have not and if you are not walking with God in and through his word, what are you going to turn to? You're simply going to give in. If I can say, I think it's absolutely shameful how divisive the issue of alcohol can be in the body of Christ. I think it's shameful. Officially, the position of Midtown Baptist Temple is that we do not condone drunkenness. Because I am certain that is the biblical position. And my counsel to anyone who has struggled with alcohol, where that at some point in your life was a stumbling block, my counsel to you would be, I think for the rest of your life, you probably should abstain from that. But please hear me, in the years that I've been a pastor, in the years that I've been involved in counseling, few, and I do mean very, very few issues have actually dealt with that. With someone being in bondage, I can actually count on one hand how many counseling scenarios I've been a part of I would even say I can count on a few fingers that involve someone who was in bondage to alcohol. But please hear me. I have dealt with countless issues of insobriety. I've dealt with countless issues of insobriety. You can abstain from wine, you can abstain from beer, you can abstain from all of it, and listen, be extremely drunk. You see, someone who is spiritually unsober, uh, this is someone, listen very carefully, who is operating and walking under the influence of a carnal mind. And please, I beg you, Someone who is operating under the influence of a carnal mind is as dangerous as someone behind the wheel of a car intoxicated barreling 90 miles an hour down I-70. 
they are as dangerous to their families, <laughs> to this church, to all of their relationships. They are as dangerous. Uh, this is one of three commands in First Peter to be sober. And it is absolutely mandatory for us if we're going to endure the trials and the temptations that are coming our way. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. Uh, for some, under the sound of my voice right now, what we're doing right now, the time that we are spending in God's Word is representative of the only quality time you've had in this book this entire week. This is it. This is it. That's the problem. That's the problem. I knew of a couple some years ago, not in this church, who were having severe marital problems to the point where their marriage was on the brink of divorce. Their marriage had become so toxic that their home was a battlefield and they were coexisting as bitter enemies. They despised each other, could not stand to be in the same room with each other, all they did was bicker and battle and fight and war. It was nasty. But they admitted that spending quality time with God in His Word and in prayer was non-existent in their marriage. And the only meaningful exposure they had to God's Word, you guessed, was on Sunday mornings, listen very carefully, whenever they attended and they wondered why their marriage was a mess. You must understand the cost is so very steep when you walk away from this book. You will pay dearly. You will pay dearly. Your marriage will pay. Your parenting will pay. Your life will pay. This is the bread of life, brothers and sisters. We cannot make it without it. Please, in sobriety is one of the biggest culprits in marriage and family. In sobriety, it's not, listen, it's not stepkids, it's not money, it's not the past. It's not irreconcilable differences. It's not culture. It's not you're this way and I'm that way. No, 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 no. It's in sobriety. In sobriety. You get spouses and you get children in a home who are not actively seeking God through this book. And I can tell you, the tension and the contention will be palpable.
Husbands, a Christ-like husband is going to place the premium of God's Word in the home that Christ places on it. And we get a visual of that in Luke 10.41. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Okay, uh, one of the things that my wife has gently and graciously critiqued me on is being a little bit more lighthearted when I'm preaching, so here we go. I, I do listen to you. She goes, sometimes it just feels intense, so I'm sorry. It's, I liken it to passion, okay? So, if I may, is it me? Or when I read Martha, Martha, I, I'm like, okay, don't think about Martha Kajowski. Like, it's just, so she's the only Martha I know <laughs> that I can remember. So it's like, don't think about Martha Kajowski. Just, this is Martha, Martha in the Bible, all right? <laughs> it's like, okay. So, and, and this is not Martha, this is not how Martha lives, right, Carl? This, this isn't Martha, right? <laughs> was that lighthearted enough, sweetheart? Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Very good, very good, very good. So, brothers, we must identify the one thing that is needful in the home, and what is that? Quality time in the Word of God. That's needful. That's the one thing that's needful. For us, brothers, for our wives, and for our children. And listen, that begins with us modeling that and us encouraging it in our wives and in our children. I love my wife. She's, she's an incredible help. My goodness, man, she lives to glorify God by helping me and serving me, and she is willing to go the distance to whatever it takes to help, and I so appreciate that. But let me tell you, there is nothing, and I mean nothing, that lights me up like seeing her sitting down with an open Bible. That fills my heart, man. I mean, uh, not to be inappropriate, and, and I mean this, this is just a phrase that came to my head. It really turns me on. But I, I don't mean that in a lustful way. I mean that in a say it, 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 it just, it, it pulls me to her. She is, she is never more beautiful to me than when I see that. Like it is the most incredible, beautiful sight. When I see my daughter, when I see Bree with her Bible, when I see my son, uh, he, he is, he's a technician. I, I really respect how he rolls, but he's very, he's very ordered, very mechanical. Like the kid gets up every morning. I get up early. He's not too far behind. <laughs> and he gets up and he gets his coffee and he goes in his room and man, he's getting, I just, thank you, God. He's not a 4-4 athlete. Probably not going to make it to the NBA or the NFL, but I'm okay. He loves God. And he loves the book. Thank you. This is what you're after in your homes, husbands. But you got to live it. And you got to encourage it. And you got to stoke that fire. It's the one thing that's needful. 
But here's another critical thought about insobriety. Again, I'm begging you a lot today because I really want you to get this. Listen, insobriety causes a fiery trial to be hotter and it causes temptation to be greater. Does that make sense? If you're not sober, that trial only gets harder. If you're not sober, that temptation is magnified. In sobriety is so very expensive, y'all. We get to chapter 5 and we're told to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Because we have an adversary, the devil, a roaring lion who is seeking what? What he wants to play with. What he wants to mess around with. Who he just wants to tempt and tease a little bit. No, 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 no. He wants to what? Devour them. There's a lot of discussion today about the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, please hear me. When it comes to trials and when it comes to temptations, there are only the sober and the unsober. That's it. There's only the sober and the unsober. And we close with this. The unsober are vulnerable to destruction. If you are unprepared and unsober spiritually, I'm not exaggerating or trying to embellish this point, but it can absolutely destroy you. There are people in the grave earlier than they needed to be because a temptation knocked on their door at a time in their life where they were not spiritually prepared and spiritually sober and it took them out. There are husbands, there are pastors who have ruined their families, who have ruined churches, I mean ruined. Because temptation came and they were unprepared spiritually and they were unsober and they will spend the rest of their days limping and mourning and regretting not being prepared and not being sober. It starts with preparation and it demands sobriety. God, thank you for the time that you've given us in your word today. I do pray that we will receive it fully, that God, we would understand that insobriety can be so very costly. So help us, Lord, to be prepared and sober. In Jesus' name, amen.